Hi, Mom. And hi to all the moms out there in internet land. <laughs> Welcome to the broadcast from Christ Church at Butler. This is May 10th. Can you believe this is the eighth week that we've done this? It just doesn't seem like it's been that many. We are looking forward to getting back together soon, though. And um, it's a little more complicated than just having church. So the elders are making plans for how and when exactly we'll be opened back up for services. One thing we know is that we'll continue making the service available online. There are some of you who maybe shouldn't come back as quickly as we'll be allowed to. And so we're encouraging you to sit tight. Um, we'll make the service available. And uh, if, you're, if you don't have online capabilities, we'll keep on delivering a DVD or a CD to you. But we want you to be safe. Since today is Mother's Day, the service will feature a prayer uh, for all the moms, as well as a special sermon about a special mom. Uh, we, again, we have a lot of online options for you to take advantage of, and uh, we want to invite you just to check out uh, the resources on our YouTube channel or on our website, which is ccbforhim.org. And once again, we are so thankful for those of you who, who just keep supporting the work financially. You know who the, the really committed members are. And we're so grateful for you. And uh, you can send your contributions uh, through the mail. Many of you are still sending them through the mail at P.O. Box 342, Butler, Indiana, 46721. Um, online giving will continue to be available. That'll be a permanent thing now. Now that we've got it set up, it'll just always be a, a part of the opportunity for you to support us. Don't forget that after we worship, there's a communion meditation, so get your bread and your juice ready. Let's pray and we'll worship together. Almighty Father in heaven, you are the great I am. You are our rock and our redeemer. You're our supplier of every need. Father, you are our promise and our provision. We want to thank you and honor you with all of our praise and thanksgiving today. We pray that you'd receive it through Jesus. It's in his name. Amen. These are the days of Elijah declaring the word of the Lord. And these are the days of your servant Moses, righteousness being restored. And though these are days of great trials, of famine and darkness and sorrow, 
Still we are the voice in the desert crying, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Behold, he comes riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. At the trumpet call, so lift your voice. It's a year of Jubilee, and out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. These are the days of Ezekiel, the dry bones becoming his flesh. And these are the days of your servant, David, rebuilding the temple of praise. And these are the days of the harvest The fields are wide in the world And we are your laborers in your vineyard Declaring the word of the Lord Behold, He comes Riding on the clouds Shining like the sun At the trumpet call To lift your voice clouds shining like the sun at the trumpet call to lift your voice it's a year of jubilee and out of science till salvation comes who was and who is and who is to come who was and Sun at the trumpet call to lift your voice. It's the year of Jubilee, and out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. Behold, he comes riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. At the trumpet call to lift your voice. It's the year of Jubilee, and out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. And out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. And out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. King who is 
stop loving, adore him. I will bow down before him. I will sing God and worship the King who is worthy. I will love and adore him. I will bow down before him. You're my Prince of Peace. And I will live my life for you. You are holy. You are mighty. You are worthy. Worthy of praise. I will follow. I will listen. I will love you. I'll love my days. I will sing to and worship the King who is worthy. I will love and adore Him. I will bow down before. I will sing to and worship the King who is worthy. I will love and adore Him. I will bow down before Him. You're my Prince of Peace and I will live my life for You. I will sing to and worship the King who is worthy. I will love and adore Him. I will bow down before Him. I will sing and worship the King who is worthy. I will love and adore Him. I will bow down before Him. You're my Prince of Peace, and I will live my life for You. I will sing to and worship the King who is worthy. I will love and adore Him. I will bow down before Him. I will sing to and worship the King who is worthy. I will love and adore Him. I will bow down before Him. You're my Prince of Peace and I will live my life for You. My Prince of Peace, and I will live my life for you. You're my Prince of Peace, and I will live my life for you.
hobbies is gardening. Flowers are her thing. As a gardener, she's continually confronted with choices. Should she prune this particular plant or let it go? Should she mulch again or skip a year? Water at night or water in the morning? Divide the perennials that are spreading out or give them another year? Dig this plant up and replant it somewhere else or just leave it. Plant by Mother's Day or wait a little longer to make sure there's no killing frost. All of these choices represent keeping control of her garden. In the scriptures, we see some choices made in the garden that affected control of more than flowers, trees, and bushes. In the book of Genesis, Adam was in the Garden of Eden and he wanted control of his destiny. God had said, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So Adam and Eve were given freedom of choice, but they listened to the serpent's words. They believed his lies. They opted to eat from the forbidden tree and they found themselves evicted from paradise. Jesus was also confronted with a choice in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night that he was betrayed. Paul calls him the second Adam because of the similarity of their circumstances. 
Jesus' choice was to go through with his father's plan for him to die on the cross or to whatever, something else. He didn't choose something else. He prayed, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. But then in the end, he let his father control his destiny. He submitted and he prayed the prayer that took him to Calvary. Yet not what I will, but what you will. There's an old nursery rhyme that goes, Mary, Mary, quite contrary, how does your garden grow? Communion is the perfect time to ask ourselves, how does my garden grow? Does it grow by wanting to be contrary and in control like Adam? Or does it grow by submission and allowing God to have his way like Jesus did? Shortly before Jesus made his choice in the garden, he was in the upper room with his disciples. It was then that he told them that he was about to suffer at the hands of the Romans. And it was then that he asked them to remember what he was about to do. He took the bread and blessed it, saying, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the resolve that Jesus had to submit to you and to go to the cross, to set aside his own interests, his own fear of the pain. Father, we thank you that he was completely in line with your will just as he was throughout his entire life but it had to be harder that last night of his life lord we're grateful to you for the blood that was shed for us and for the suffering that that jesus underwent we praise you lord in jesus name amen I was clipping my toenails this last week and I got to thinking about my mom. You know, moms are such a huge influence on us and mine was no different. She really was responsible for making me who I am today. When I was little, she would make chocolate cake with chocolate frosting. And when she was done, she would have me lick the beaters and it still brings tears to my eyes. I think, Mom, why couldn't you just turn off the mixer? But it toughened me up, and it helped me become what I am. So would you join me in praying for all of the moms that are watching and listening? Oh, holy God, in your genius, you gave each of us a mom. And we are so thankful, Lord, that that you gave us one who would be a person who would look after us and nurture us and pour into us 
so many qualities that are your qualities, God. Mercy and compassion. And Father, we thank you for this day when we celebrate our mothers. God, we pray that you would pour a special blessing on each one of them. Each one that is a mom or a grandmother or a great-grandmother, but they're all moms. And God, we can't begin to thank you enough for them. Lord, give them many more quality years of life. May that life be blessed and joy-filled. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, so often the story of a man is the story of a mother who played a pivotal role behind the scenes. That's the story of the nearly anonymous mother of one of the greatest leaders ever to walk the earth. And that man was Moses. We'll be in Exodus 2 for our story today. Our text doesn't tell us her name. But later in the book of Exodus, we're told that she was Jochebed, the wife of Amram. But most likely, her son called her nanny. And there's a reason for that that we'll see in a bit here. Many years before there was famine in the land of Canaan, it had forced Jacob, who was also known as Israel, and his family of 70 to go to Egypt to live. They lived in northern Egypt, the delta area of the Nile River. The land was known as the land of Goshen. And as the centuries passed, Jacob's family prospered. They became known as the Israelites and also the Hebrews and also the Jews. Racial tensions developed. And the Jews became slaves to the Egyptians. They were forced to work out in the hot sun, making bricks for the many building projects that were initiated by Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And despite their misery, the Jews continued to multiply. They weren't so prosperous, but eventually they literally numbered in the millions and because of that, Pharaoh was afraid that just by sheer numbers, the Jews might be stronger than the Egyptians, might be a, a danger if they were to rebel. Well, he tried to control the population growth of the Jews by manipulating the Jewish midwives, by ordering them to kill any of the newborn babies that were males. Well, that didn't work. So in desperation, he mandated a law that he thought might solve the problem. And let's read about that in verse 22 of Exodus 1. Exodus 1.22 says, Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. And this is the setting for the amazing story of Jochebed's love for her son and her faith in God. I'm going to be reading the first three verses of chapter 2. Follow along with me. Now a man of the tribe of Levi 
married a Levite woman. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister, well, let's not read that yet. We'll stop at the end of verse 3 there. But it's a familiar story, isn't it? Especially in the age that we live in. A while back, a young lady in Auburn was sentenced to, I forget how many years in prison, for the abandonment of her baby. She had given birth in her apartment by herself, and she couldn't bear the prospects of telling the father of the baby about the birth. She also couldn't bear the idea of raising the baby by herself, so she placed the child in a trash bag and put it in the dumpster at her apartment. That baby didn't survive. We read stories rather regularly about babies being abandoned in run-down houses or in trash cans. Now we've seen legislation passed that makes it legal for a woman to drop off a child at a hospital or in a specially designed safe box with no questions asked. In our story today, Jochebed gives up her son, but not for selfish reasons. First of all, one of the reasons was she gave him up to God. The verses we read tell us that this was a Levite woman. Now the Levites eventually, when they leave Egypt, they will become the caretakers of the tabernacle and eventually the caretakers of the temple. The priesthood of Israel will also come from the tribe of Levi. That doesn't necessarily mean, though, that Jochebed was a godly woman just because she was from the tribe of Levi. We're never told specifically that Jochebed loved God. We're never told whether she had a great deal of trust in God prior to this incident. But sometimes crisis forces us to trust in God like we never have before. Jochebed finds herself in a crisis. Pharaoh's new decree makes it illegal for a Jewish woman to have a son. She has been hiding him for three months. And now, for some reason, after three months, she can't hide her son any longer. And so she gives him up to God. And for his own good, she has to relinquish her claim to him as her son. Sometimes many of our parenting problems are due to the fact that we're not willing to give our children to God. Many parents claim ownership of their children. Many parents view their children as their property or their possessions. They may not mean any harm by it, but they just don't know any better. But at Christmas, one of the greatest gifts that we can have are our children around our feet. 
We're Christians, of course, and at least I hope everybody watching is. And if that's true of you, there was a point where we first chose to follow Jesus. And as Christian people, we make the choice to follow Jesus every day. Do you remember what Jesus said about following him in Mark chapter 8 and verses 34 and 35? He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Jesus is not merely referring to dying for the sake of gospel in this passage. He calls us to give up our lives. And it's not necessarily physically. Our children are part of our lives, along with so many other things. Listen, if you're following Jesus, you need to realize that nothing you have is your own. Not your home, not your vehicles, not your savings, not your stuff, not your body, not your time, and certainly not your children. These things are not your own if you are truly following Jesus. They belong to God. We're to give all of it over to God, and an amazing thing happens when we do that. We become the caretakers of that which is the Lord's. So how do we give our children up to God? Well, mainly it's all about our attitude. And it's all about our perspective. We give our children up to God by loving them with the love they deserve as God's precious ones. And we give our children up to God by disciplining them the way he instructs us by making sure they're brought up knowing Him and knowing His Word, by teaching them to trust God for everything in their lives. I read about a woman whose husband suddenly died and he left her with six children to raise. And before long, she had gone out and adopted 12 more. This woman was very unusual, and this warranted a newspaper feature. And so a reporter was sent over to the house to interview her. And he wondered just how she managed to raise all those kids and to do it so gracefully. She said, it's very simple. See, I'm in a partnership. And her face broke into a... A smile as the reporter said, a partnership? I hadn't heard about that. What sort of a partnership is it? She said, one day a long time ago, I said to the Lord, Lord, I'll do the work and you do the worrying. And I haven't had a worry since. She recognized that these children belong to God first and foremost. And she set an example of faith for them. They learned to trust God for their every need. Well, Jochebed did the same thing. She gave up her son to God, and then she got him back from God. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 2 and read verses 4 through 9. Oh. 
His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the, to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. So here's an unforeseen development. Unforeseen to Moses' mother, Jochebed, not unforeseen to God. But the princess has a heart here. The daughter of the hard-hearted ruler of the Egyptians is human. She sees this child who she immediately identifies as Hebrew and she is overcome with compassion. She doesn't have any desire to kill this child, but I'm sure she was jolted back to reality when she realized this isn't as simple as taking home a stray kitten. This is an infant. Now, she doesn't know his actual age, which it turns out to be three months. But she knows one thing for sure. This little boy has not been weaned yet. The princess, of course, is not able to meet those needs. This baby needs a wet nurse. And fortunately for the princess, here's a young girl who happens to be Moses' sister who was watching to see what would happen. And she says, shall I go get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Jochebed had given up her son to God, and now God is giving him back to her. Obviously, these are not the ideal circumstances. Nobody would choose this situation for themselves or their child. But God plans to use this boy in an incredible way. And when that is true, then there are sacrifices to be made. You know, most Parents want their children to get an education, not just an education, but a good education. Most of us want our kids to go to college, but there's some sacrifice that goes along with that aspiration for our children. Most of the time, once a young adult gets that degree, they move away to some godforsaken place like Oklahoma or New York. It's only if you're doubly blessed that they get their education and come back to live close to their parents. Well, God has big plans for Moses, and it means Jochebed will have to do something that she wouldn't normally choose to do. Share her son. Jochebed's resolve to trust in God is tested here because the relationship has now changed. The first change is that the baby was a slave and became a prince. Talk about going from the outhouse to the penthouse for this baby. 
Jochebed's son had a death sentence on his head. If he was discovered by any Egyptian person, citizen, he was to be thrown into the Nile River. Do you remember the old episode of the Andy Griffith show when Goober was going crazy making citizens arrest? Well, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had made the declaration that any Egyptian goober who found a Jewish male baby could throw it in the Nile. No questions asked. Citizens arrest. Well, this baby had a death sentence hanging over him. And now, all of a sudden, he's living in the palace. He's living in the White House. Now, the reality was that he was still the son of a slave. The princess knew he was Hebrew. She does not know that the nursemaid is the baby's mother, Jochebed. But regardless of this baby's original circumstance, he will be treated differently from this time forward. He will now be protected by the law. No Egyptian will be able to lay a hand on him. Jochebed will take him home and nurse him until he's weaned. And that could be a while. Ancient historians say that quite often in those days, a child wasn't weaned, get ready for this moms, until he was five years old. That sounds crazy, but before Lisa and I moved to Butler, we attended church in East Lansing, we were very involved there. And Lisa was working the preschool nursery one Sunday morning with Carrie, another young mother. And imagine Lisa's surprise and Carrie's embarrassment when Carrie's four-and-a-half-year-old son, Kyle, climbed onto Mommy's lap, lifted up her shirt, and began groping for a mid-morning snack. That's pretty unusual in our society, but... Maybe not so much in those ancient days. So Jochebed will have a few years of caring for her son. She'll probably have to take him to the palace regularly to visit his new adopted mother, the princess of Egypt. Maybe she'll take him every day while Jochebed is still nursing him. After all, he's a prince. Now, I need to interject something that is somewhat unrelated to the outline, but it's too cool to overlook. This baby is a symbol of the Messiah in a couple of ways. First of all, this baby is being hunted by the king. His only crime was being born when this king felt threatened. Granted, this baby wasn't being searched for specifically, but he's a Jewish male and they were all to be thrown into the Nile River. And in that sense, the king was looking for him. 1,600 years later, another king will be looking for a baby from the area of Bethlehem. That baby's only crime was being born when King Herod felt threatened. And ironically, the search for the baby Jesus will force his family to flee to Egypt. The second way Jochebed's baby is a symbol of the Messiah is that he was given new life. 
The Nile River was to be the means of his death. When his mother wrapped his body and put the basket into the water, that easily could have been the end. There are crocodiles in the Nile River. If any Egyptian, including the daughter of the king, had found the baby and surmised that he was Jewish, it was a foregone conclusion that that baby would have been drowned. I don't imagine that Jochebed ever expected that Pharaoh's daughter would fish him out of the water and choose to keep him. So he went into a watery tomb and he came out a prince of Egypt. 1,600 years later, another mother helped wrap the body of her son and laid him in his tomb. Three days later, he came out the king of life and the prince of peace. So the relationship has changed. Jochebed's baby went out a slave and came back a prince. But there's another change in relationship because Jochebed was a mother and she became a steward. She became a steward. Now a steward is someone who cares for that which belongs to somebody else. You old timers like me might remember Mr. French on the old TV show Family Affair. You might remember the, the butler Alfred in the old Batman series. He was a steward. If you're concerned about the economy or the war or illegal immigration or, or any issue... You can call the White House. Did you know you can look up the number? Of course, you won't get to speak with the president. You can go to Washington, D.C. And most likely, even if you got in for a tour of the White House, you're not going to see the president. Only a very few are given that privilege. You want to see the president in the Oval Office, you have to win the Super Bowl or be World Series champions to see the president. And just like the president doesn't allow every Tom, Dick, and Larry in to see him, the royal family of Egypt didn't allow just anyone access to the palace or those who lived there. But all of a sudden, Jochebed has been promoted. She had been a brickmaker, slaving every day in the hot Egyptian sun. Now she goes to the royal palace, maybe every day, although it's bittersweet. She gets paid for feeding and taking care of her own son, but she has to share him with another woman. And just as her son's station in life has been transformed, so has Jochebed's. She went out a slave and came back a steward, a privileged servant of the palace. Only the very highest ranking nobility of Egypt had that kind of access to the royal family. And of the religious community, only the very highest priests were invited to the palace. But Jochebed will be there, maybe every day, out of the hot sun. Her only work will be taking care of her boy. She'll be sitting in a rocker recliner. and She'll be drinking pomegranate juice with a little umbrella in it. And it happened 
because she gave up her son to God and God gave him back and said, now take care of him for me. In our text, look at verse 10. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. And there's the bitterest of the bittersweet. When Jochebed's son is weaned, she takes him to the palace and she leaves him there. And it's there that he receives his name, an Egyptian name, Moses, meaning I drew him out because the princess drew him out of the water. We're never told what Jochebed had named her son, what his Hebrew name had been. He was named Moses, maybe the greatest name in the entire Old Testament. If you want to apply this message in coming days, change your outlook on your relationship with your kids and realize that if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, they're not really yours. They belong to God. And so act accordingly. A second thing, continually pray them over into the care of God. God bless you, moms. We love you. We're so thankful that you're in our lives. You had some moments but uh, many of them were such great moments, and so we're grateful for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you all glory and all praise for your idea to give us each a mother. And God, we thank you for them, and we pray that you would help us to honor them at every moment that we can, because we are thankful for each one. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.